Let's pray. Father, strengthen us through the proclamation of your word, that word that is truth and life. We pray this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at what we've been calling hidden gods. And a hidden God, in and of itself, is a good thing, a blessing that God gives to us, but that can quickly turn into an idol when we put it in God's number one spot, when we, when we give too much attention to it. Right, for instance, week number one, we, we talked about the hidden God of approval. Now, is it wrong to want approval, to want people to like you, to, to be loved? Absolutely not, but... But God says he gives us all the approval we need through Jesus, and we don't really need anybody else's approval. Week number two, we talked about appearance. And no, it's not wrong to diet and exercise and to do your hair up and, and to dress nice. In fact, some of that God says, those are good things and they have some value, but, but when we start making them our God, when we spend more time and money on those things and not Jesus and serving others, then God says, there you have an idol. Well, today, we get to talk about everybody's favorite topic, money, right? Raise your hand if you love it. No, you love talking about money? I should have asked that question differently, right? right a lot of people are thinking, Pastor, we should not talk about money because people are going to get upset, right? Money's a, a personal thing or a, or a private thing. And I get the concern, I do, right? Some of you maybe had have had bad experiences with money and churches and money that you used to go to, and it seemed like that's all they wanted from you and talked about. And I'm sympathetic to that, but we have to talk about it. Because money is such a big thing in our world and in our lives, right? That house you live in, it costs money. The car you drive, it costs money, the food you eat day in and day out, it costs. The trip to Disney, the family vacation to see, see your parents or extended relatives, it costs money. The AC to keep us cool, the heat when it gets cold, costs money, right? Money is such an important part of our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. In and of itself, nothing sinful. That's, God has given us money. But that's why we have to talk about it because it is such an important part of our lives. And, and I think there's two big reasons that I want to lay out before we even get any further of why we have to talk about money, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Number one, Jesus does. If you took your Bible and you took a pen and just started going through the New Testament and circled every time it said money or possessions or good gifts or being generous or giving, you're going to be hard-pressed to turn a page where there's not at least a couple words circled. Jesus talks a lot about money, and so if we care what our God has to say to us, we need to talk about it too. In fact, we really can't claim to be a Bible-believing, Christ-following church if we don't talk about a topic that God talks a lot about. Number two, as your pastor, I really love you. 
And I know that money, for better or for worse, has had a profound impact on your lives. And I'm going to let you help me prove that. Raise your hand, and if you're watching online, there's a thumbs up, or I think there might even be a raised hand emoji that you can put in the comments, right? So raise your hand if you've ever worried about financial things. All right, some of you are like, I don't know, right? I, I think all of us. Raise your hand if you've never stressed out about how you're going to pay for her braces or, or, or his brake job on the car or even your daily bread. Raise your hand if you've never worried about such things in your life, ever. I think I, there's a whole lot of not being honest today, right? Because, again, those are all financial, right? Raise your hand if you've ever fought with your spouse over financial stuff. And if you haven't, you're going to do the next marriage seminar because you've got to give us, give us the tips, right? Raise your hand if, if you've never thought, if only I had a little bit more, if only I got that promotion and that raise, then, oh, things would smooth out and my life would be better. Raise your hand if you've ever, thank you, my wife. Man, this, this could go bad real quick. <laughs> I think you get the point. I'm going to stop here asking questions. Uh, you get the point, though, right? Money has a huge impact on our lives, and Jesus has a lot to say about it. So, so we need to sit down and, and look at what does Jesus say. Money's not the problem, but, but he says there's a way to use it properly. And so what does he say? So we're going to look at our lesson from Luke chapter 12 to get the answer. There's a lot of places we could have chose, but we're going to look at this section of God's word. Now, I want to back up because I want to give you the context of what's happening here. If you were to go and look at Luke 12 verse 1, it says that Jesus was teaching and preaching to a gigantic crowd. Thousands of people, and it gives this impression that they're pushing, they're kind of shoving, they're trying to get closer to, to hear what Jesus is saying. And so it was in that context when Jesus is talking about some actually pretty deep spiritual things, somebody interrupts him and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I was trying to think of what the equivalent would be, I guess, minus the thousands of people. It'd be like somebody right now coming right up the aisle and saying, Wait a minute, Pastor, I need you to do this right now for me. Right, this guy, Jesus is teaching, and in the middle of it, Jesus, get me my money. Get me what's coming to me. Get my inheritance for me. So obviously there's something going on. He wasn't getting what he thought he was due. Now, how is Jesus going to respond? Jesus goes on and he says this. Man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? So Jesus basically answers by saying, no, I'm not going to do this, right? He shuts the guy down, end of discussion, we're done, right? I don't know if you've ever heard the term a, a teaching moment or a teachable moment, but Jesus knows he's got one on his hands. Because he looks at this guy, and then he looks out at the crowd, and he realizes this guy's not the only one who has a problem with this. And so Jesus says to them all, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's so Jesus, he, he looks at everybody, he looks at us, and he says, watch out and be on your guard. 
Right? Stay alert, stay vigilant, because Jesus knows that greed can be sneaky and slip into our hearts, and it can take us out spiritually. So he says, you've got to stay awake. Now, I think before we go any further, we really have to kind of define what greed is. Okay? Because I think a lot of times when we hear greed or greedy and greedy people, we almost automatically think, yeah, that's those rich people. That's the people with that kind of money, the, the, the one percenters, the, the Wall Street corporate banker type. Those people are greedy. But me, I can't be greedy. But the truth is, you can be rich and greedy, you can be poor and greedy. Just like you can be rich and generous, and you can be dirt poor and generous. Remember the story of the widow in the temple? Jesus is watching all these fat cats throwing stacks of cash, and then this little old lady comes up, and she puts the last quarter she has, trusting that God is going to take care of her. And, and you know who gave way more in God's sight? She did. You don't have to be rich to be generous, and you don't have to be poor to be greedy. And so how would we define greed? I like the way one pastor once put it. He said, greed is this. Greed is when you assume, when you think that everything you have is simply yours to consume and use however you want, whenever you want. And that's really what Jesus is saying in this section when he says, watch out for greed. And we see it in the parable that he teaches. I remember what a parable is, an earthly story that, that human beings would kind of understand, but Jesus, in telling the story, wants to teach a, a heavenly, a biblical meaning. And so Jesus tells the parable of that rich guy. Fabulously wealthy. Crops, so many, he didn't know what to do with them, right? Because what does he do with his abundance of crops? He shoves them into his barns, and you know what he can't do? Can't shut the doors. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a bigger barn. I'm going to build bigger barns in the plural, and then I'll have the room, and then after that I'm going to kick back, grab my wife, bottle of wine, eat, drink, and be merry, and enjoy the fruits of my labor. Now, if we knew a guy like that, how would we react to him? If we knew the person who got the promotion, who made rank, who got the pay raise, who got the nice brand new home, a nice new car, we'd be like, yeah, bro, awesome. We'd give him five. We'd praise him. Maybe you can get a little jealous. <laughs> you know what God says? God says this. God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus doesn't give him a fist bump. God doesn't say, well done. He says, you fool. Why? What was this rich guy's problem? It wasn't money. It wasn't simply his possessions and wealth. I, I don't know if you listen to a guy like Dave Ramsey. He's a, he's a financial guru. You probably at least heard of him. Whether you like his stuff or not, there's one thing he always says about money that he thinks he, he is spot on. He says money's like a brick. A brick is amoral, you know what I mean? It doesn't breathe, it doesn't talk, it doesn't have a soul. And he says, with that brick, that's like money, I could either take that brick and throw it at your face, bust your teeth up, and hurt you, or I could take that brick and I could build a flower bed or a hospital for sick kids. 
This guy's problem wasn't the wealth that he had. It wasn't his money and crops, because after all, God is the one who gave him great wealth. What was his problem? He thought that everything he had was for him to consume the way he wanted to. You see that? I'm not going to go back and read the whole thing again, but there's a lot of eyes in myself, and there's no mention of God. None. No, thank you, God, for giving me this. No, how can I use this to serve you and others? No, no God in his finances. How can I be generous to serve the kingdom and to serve those living in the kingdom of God? None of that. It was all I, 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 myself, myself, myself. And Jesus says, you fool. Because now, when his life's demanded, he's going to have to stand before a holy God, spiritually bankrupt, and that's not a good place to be. You know, some people will say, well, the Bible, you know, that was written thousands of years ago. It really is not relevant to our day and age. And, and I read a parable like this, and, and Jesus talking about greed, and I think, wow, it's super relevant to our day and age. Because you and I still struggle with this sin of greed. Our hearts are, are still pulled by the allure of more and more and more stuff. Or the hidden God of money and greed comes up alongside of us and says, if you only have a little bit more, if you only get that, if you only do that, then I'll make you happier. More joy, more peace, more security. You won't have to worry about a thing. And I don't know about you, but man, that's really hard to resist. Really, really, really hard to resist. But as we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, when it comes to something that we have turned a good thing into an idol, at the end of the day, the idol will always break your heart. It, it can't come through on its promises, right? Like, think about it. Are you less stressed, less worried, less concerned about financial matters now than you, when you were 14, 15 with that first job making peanuts? If you're anything like me, no way. You were happier, you didn't worry about it as much, but we do now. Here's another thing. Right? Remember, if we're going to worship these idols, they promise blessings, but every single idol demands a sacrifice. It's not free. And so the hidden God of money, I'll bless you with all these things, but you're going to have to give something to me. And one thing we have to give is our time. Right? Just the other day, I was talking to somebody. We, we even had this conversation. Time is money, right? We have phrases like that. Time is money. Money doesn't go on trees. You're going to have to go out and get it. And so it's going to take time. You're going to have to work for it. Maybe, maybe time with schooling to get more degrees and, and more knowledge and whatever job it is so you can get a bigger pay raise. It's going to take some of your time. Now get, I'm not saying that's always wrong, but just know that there's a cost. Number two, Money says you're going to have to sacrifice at some level your family and many other relationships. Because what's the one thing that your marriage, that your relationship with your kids or your parents or your close relatives or friends, what's one thing that those relationships absolutely need? Time. Right? You don't put any time into your marriage, you're going to have some issues. You don't cultivate any time with your kids, there's going to be problems. 
Right? If you're too busy working six, seven days a week and you can't give that time to those relationships, they will suffer. And the last one, it could cost you your faith. Now, we heard that in our first reading, right? Jesus said that many people, because of riches and the pursuit of riches, have walked away from their faith. In fact, didn't Jesus once say it's really hard for a rich guy to get into heaven? It's actually easier for a camel to go through a little eye of the needle, right? Jesus isn't saying rich people are automatically wrong. It's wrong to have wealth and money. But man, it just consumes a lot of your time, and oftentimes God is the one who gets shoved out. And if you think Jesus was talking about other people, right? If you live in this country, if you make an income, you're some of the richest people on this planet. You are. Just go travel overseas sometimes and you'll quickly see that. So, I want to ask you a really tough question this morning. If Jesus were sitting next to you today, or maybe better yet, if Jesus sat down with your, your finances and your budget, would he see God at the center? Or would he call you a fool? Do you look at the stuff that you have and, and recognize that it comes from him and, and don't just say that, but you actually live it? Or would Jesus again look at you and say, you fool? When you sit down and do your budget, do you, do you give first and spend second the way Christ called? Or, or would Jesus say, wait a minute, what, what are you doing, you fool? When you put that budget together, do you, do you give and does it reflect your trust in the giver? Or would it say you trust more in the gift? I don't know how you would answer that. But can I be honest with you today? I know what God says about the sin of greed. I, I know the, the warnings he attaches to money, right? They're good things, but be careful because they can quickly become bad and drag you away from me. I know all of that. But this idol, man, it still gets me. It still gets me. Right, this last Thursday when I got a bill in the mail for $523 and like 10 cents, I know it down to a T, Right? A medical bill for, for like one or two visits for, for a cast? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 523 bucks, I kind of got stressed. That's a big chunk of the paycheck I just got. Now I'm going to have to make some adjustments. $523? Or when I think about like college fund for my kids or, or retirement fund for, for me and my wife, and, and we're nowhere near what the financial gurus say we're supposed to have, I get a little worried, get a little stressed. Maybe I won't get to retire. I'll have to work until I die because we need the income. Or when my wife and I sit down and we go through the budget, man, I, I'm sure you feel this too. Like as quick as it comes in, it goes out just as fast. And then you start thinking, well, what about that? Or, or what about that? Well, we can't do that now. Or, you know, maybe if we adjusted some of the giving, then, then I won't have to drive a 98 car with a check engine light on. You know, that's tempting. Come on, Jesus. I think of all the times that, that Jesus would sit 
in my dining room, at my dining room table, look at my budget, hear me talk, and say, Doug, you fool. What are you doing? Don't you trust me? Now, here's the awesome part. Right, Jesus might look at me from time to time, or a lot, and I know he has, and said, Doug, you fool, but, but he doesn't walk away from me. Right? He didn't walk away from the crowd that day when he said, watch out, because he knew that they struggled with this. He kept teaching, and he doesn't walk away from you either, because you know what Jesus wants to do? Jesus wants to give you something better than money. He wants to give you something better than the possessions of this life that he says life is not all about those. He wants to give you a prized possession that can never spoil, never fade, never go away, no matter how much we might even try to push it aside. He says you can't get rid of it. And that's what he did. Because Jesus came to this earth and he gave up everything to give you everything now and forever. And that, that brings me to the last point and passage I want to leave you with today. It's the most important. Second Corinthians says this, you know the grace, right, grace that undeserved love of God, of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Think about that for a minute. Jesus is God. Jesus created everything, heaven and on earth and under the earth, everything that's crammed into your closets, everything that you get in and drive, everything that you live in, everything that you wear and eat and consume, it's all his that he lovingly blesses us with. There's nothing he lacks, nothing that's not his. Yet what did he do? He said, I'm going to give it all up. All of it to find and to save and to give everything to you. I think about, about his birth and when he came. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. It wasn't a warm hospital. It wasn't even a nice, cozy home like the ones we get to live in. He was in a barn. Jesus never had a mortgage. He never had a car loan. He never bought a chariot or a horse. And even the one time he rode on a donkey, it wasn't even his, it was borrowed. Jesus never had his own pad to call his own. He, he crashed at his friend's house. Right? What did Jesus once say? Foxes have, have places, the birds have a place to nest and have a home. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This is God that has no place to lay his head, but it was by choice for you. And then best of all, it came to a glorious head. It didn't look glorious at first, but then at the end of his life, on the cross, Jesus willingly gave up his most valuable, precious possession. His life. Let me say that again. The creator of heaven and earth, the God... God all-powerful, everything's his, everything's at his disposal. He gave it all up, and he died to give you everything. The you and me that, that, that sometimes gets greedy and puts our hope and security in, 
in earthly things like money and stuff. He died for that. The you and me who oftentimes our, our spiritual account is in bankrupt, it's in the red, and that debt of sin is crushing us and it's going to kill us. Jesus came on the cross and he paid it. He paid it in full and it's not going to come back and haunt you. No bill collectors are going to call you. It's done. But the you and me that that we could do nothing to get into heaven, to stamp our ticket. Jesus says, I got it. And I'm not just going to get you in. And and it's not like you're going to get just like some small little room in the corner. I'm going to give you a mansion, and it's going to be awesome and perfect because that's what I won for you on the cross. Right, Jesus, who became our greed, our sin, our death, so all of those things would be forgiven and removed from us forever. We'll never have to worry about it so that we could be rich in peace and joy and forgiveness and life. Those are the gifts that Jesus won on the cross and that he has given to you. That truth is now what can change our perspective on money and the possessions that God has blessed us with, right? Because oftentimes, I think when we struggle with this, it's because we're not looking at Jesus. We're not remembering what he's done and we're focused on all the other stuff. Because when you know... And when God helps you to to believe and trust in him, that he will provide no matter what, that you can be content, as we heard Paul say, with a lot or a little because of Christ, that's a game changer when it comes to how you view money and possessions, things that actually won't last. When you die, you can't take it with them. can't take it with you. But as we look and see what Jesus has done for us, the riches he has given to us, we can be secure even on the days that maybe the finances are tight. When we know and see what Jesus has done for us, we don't have to simply say, I'll build bigger barns and eat, drink, and be merry. We, we can enjoy, but, but we can also see how can I help out a brother or sister in need. Or when we know and see what Jesus has done for us, we do not have to grab our money and wealth and our cars and our possessions and everything else and hold on to it for dear life as if we lose it, we're done for, because we're not. You're not. Because you got the riches of the king, and so then you can go like this with it. And you can be generous, just as Jesus has been generous with you. Because, friends, our security, our hope, our confidence, our joy, it's not in your paycheck. It's not in your 401Ks. It's not in your three, two or three, four car garages. It's not in your homes. Enjoy them. They're blessings from God, but they won't last. What will last is what Jesus has done for you on his cross. Remember that. Right, because if you want to, if you want to lay a knockout punch to the sin of greed, you got to look to Jesus. So the next time that that money and greed come up to you and whisper, "I can give you security, I can give you more peace and more happiness and more joy," you can look him in the eye and say, "I already got it. I already got that and so much more through Jesus Christ." And then it gets really fun to be a child of God, right? Then you can open up your wallets, you can open up your hearts, you can open up your lives, you can open up with your time and your talents, and and you can give. You can put money in the plate to spread the gospel. You can drop off that bag of groceries to a needy family. You you can share your resources, and you don't have to worry if you're going to have enough because you have a dad who's an amazing, generous giver. A dad who knows everything you need and then some, and he's given you everything you need and then some, 
He's given you everything that you need now and forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.